Hi there, this is Stuart McKee, host of Musicians FAQ Podcast. Please join me weekly where we have music and chat with some of Canada's hottest artists. That was a beautiful instrumental piece called Burgundy by Alex Worms. Alex just happens to be my very special guest this week. My name is Stuart McKee, and this is Musicians FAQ. All right, for this week's show on Musicians FAQ, we're featuring a couple of amazing artists. Alex Worms, whose name fits her perfectly. She is warm and genuine and so musically talented. And also Susie Corey, who's just an absolute positive force of nature. This is the conclusion and follow-up for both these guests for conversations that we had on earlier shows. I hope you enjoy. Yeah, and I, and I think it's a nice, it breaks things up for the listener a bit too. I mean, um, you know, no matter how great you are as a guitar player, or as a piano player, as a singer, you know, sometimes people kind of go, well, you know, show me something different. Oh, wow. You know, that's interesting. Like I remember, I mean, Sarah McLaughlin, you know, when I first heard her sing and play, it was all piano and, and, you know, that great voice. And then, you know, she's certainly gone through a phase and I think same as you were, you know, the guitar and whether it was always in her life or not, but, you know, suddenly she's performing on stage with guitar. She's writing guitar songs um, and singing guitar songs. And it's just a really cool kind of thing where you go, yeah, I can, I can grow along with this artist. I can, you know, continue to, to love them and support them because the music's changing and there's always something interesting. I mean, you know, probably nobody more than somebody like David Bowie, but I mean, you know, we're not all that much of a chameleon, but, yeah. <laughs> um, and, so, and sometimes that can be disorienting too, because you get to know a certain artist and then they go in a completely different direction and they lose a lot of people, which, you know, again, it's really, depends on what you're in it for. I mean, you've got to satisfy your own creative urges first. And, and sometimes you have to be a little bit self-indulgent as an artist um, to really satisfy that and, and be unpredictable. And, and like you said, maybe sometimes it's just to break you out of that rut where it's like, Oh, I don't, I really don't want to do this today or work on this today. So I'll just go way out and left the field. <laughs> yeah. Um, so as far as actual songs that you wrote, um, um, so you kind of walked through that transition of the piano lessons and then getting into um, stage shows at school and then the singing came and then the writing came um, do you remember sort of um, you know the first couple of songs do you have, re- have, have have any of those songs stayed with you have any of those songs been songs that you later developed or recorded or played live or I mean, yes and no right um, you know there's a very small percentage of songs that get written that you know end up 
being performed and recorded, right? Like he, I, I, there are a lot of songs that get not necessarily, like I'll say, <laughs> sometimes I, you know, if I'm talking to like a mentor, another songwriter, I'm like, well, I'm throwing that one in the garbage. And what I'm, I don't mean I'm literally throwing it away and I'll never play it again. I might play that for me, but it's, it's something that's for me and not, you know, it, it's not either commercial enough or it's too personal, I feel to touch anybody else or, or whatever. Right. But um, I have, I think, a, you know, so it, it kind of depends how far back, like, I, I think, I don't think I've recorded anything from like high school. I, I think the cutoff kind of from where I started choosing songs to record would be shortly after I, I there are a couple on my first EP, um, which was recorded, I think, my second year of my undergrad, um, where those songs came from, like, right after I graduated high school. Um, that was a very rich time of my life in terms of having ideas. Um, you know, I, I, I was about to, you know, finally move and live somewhere different. <laughs> you know, yeah. I was really excited about that. Had all of these ideas. Um, you know, my, my first, uh, relationship had just broken up. Right. So I, I had a lot of, a lot of great ideas, like, you know, a lot of feelings and whatever. Um, so a, a couple songs from the summer after graduating high school, I think ended up getting edited and put on my very first EP. And that's kind of, you know, maybe two years, two, three years of songwriting before that, Th those are just mine. <laughs> um, Yeah. So at the time, though, when you first, like when you wrote your first song, was it a moment where you, oh, my God, I just wrote a song? Or did you not really think about it that way? And was it like, was there a moment where you finally said, this is a good song? Uh, and, and, you know, I think we always do that. You kind of write a song and then you might, like you said, go back to it and say, ah, no, I'm throwing that one out. Um, which, interestingly enough, sometimes a mentor or a producer might hear that song and say, no, no, like, why are you throwing that out? That's a great song. You should be doing that one, Alex. <laughs> that that happens to me all the time like it it happened to me last week at song studio <laughs> so <laughs> where you know we, we were in the group and you know it, for anyone who's been to this song studio workshop we usually everyone in your small group presents one song and then in this case we finished early so the mentor said okay everyone bonus song everyone share one more song and i right. i kind of said oh what the heck hey everyone like i'm thinking of trashing this but should i like let me know and people went no, 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 no. <laughs> Do please play that for me again, kind of thing. Uh, so it it definitely, you know, it, especially for me, I find um, with the more personal sounding songs, you know, um, I love sad songs. Uh, by the way, um, there's and I, which is interesting for me, especially because I like I write plenty of upbeat songs too. Um, most of the ones I've recorded and released are more on the melancholy side, but. That's that's a weird conundrum I have because I'm a very in general I'm a pretty upbeat person um who just really really likes sad music and then people go are you okay right and I hate that that's that's really like I mean no, it's not I I'm not angry about anyone who's ever asked me <laughs> you know how are you doing but I I think I tend to you know if I write something that sounds vulnerable um I I love doing that I I you know, diving into those kind of uh, emotional kind of things and um, putting that in a song is really soothing for me. 
but then sometimes I tend not to want to perform that just because, you know, there's a tendency, like, I, I don't believe this, by the way, there are a lot of um, musicians out there who will do a whole set of slow songs and it, it works brilliantly, but um, yeah. So when I write something of that nature, my instinct is usually, Oh, well, that's for me. That's not like a performable song. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, off, yeah, I, I do show anything I decide to record or perform. I, I've always kind of tested it with somebody, somebody else first. That's good. That's good. <laughs> make sure. Well, and it's funny. Yeah, I've lost track of the question. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think we here. answered it somewhere in there. I was talking about <laughs> sort of, you know, what, I guess what was your first good song or the first time that you realized you wrote a, a quality song, but then I was kind of, you know, quantifying that by saying that that really is becomes very arbitrary and it changes right. as time goes on anyways. But um, yeah, I mean, my impressions of you are very smiley and high energy and positive and upbeat. And sometimes, you know, we don't know the person behind the music or if you don't know somebody that well you're only seeing a glimpse of their personality so it's kind of hard to judge that way I think let me put it this way it's not that I'm just uh, you know a blindly upbeat I wouldn't call myself an optimist (laughs) um because that's that's crap right like if things suck they suck (laughs) like so I have I have no issue kind of you know being real about things and you know if I've got a sad sounding song and people say yeah that works you're not just and that's I I guess I want to make sure you know does this does this work for you too am I totally self-indulgent here or do you also feel like this is a a, an impactful uh, piece of music to listen to and if it you know somebody else feels impacted by it um you know in a, like if it's something they'd want to listen to then yeah and i i think uh as far, it's definitely you know just finally having it, when you start writing songs you don't play them for people i feel like most people are too shy to play them for, i i can't yeah. speak for everyone but i certainly was it was something i was doing for myself um and not showing anybody uh when i was younger and I think when I started feeling like, hey, maybe I, I did something uh, cool was, um, I don't think the song is on, on our list uh, that I sent you because it's very old, but um, one song I remember, it was, it's a song called Jones from my, my first EP. And I really liked it um, because I thought this, this really is how I feel right now. Like I felt like I had accurately represented <laughs> you know I use I use songwriting as as processing or or that's what I did when I was a kid right um I felt like I processed the shit out of that like I really get what I like I, I did it right? yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I very uh shyly played it for a close friend of mine um and after I finished playing it he just gave me a hug and um, was like that, you know, and didn't really say anything. But um, that was really, really, really nice because I was like, oh, OK, <laughs> like, I, I, I guess I I have something here. Um, so that that's a moment that kind of stands out to me as, you know, do I think that song is an awesome, well-written song? No, not at <laughs> all. But, you know, it, it's a song that I, I think like like I said, like it it made 
it has, people feel something when they listen to it, right? And I don't perform it anymore. It's very old. I've learned more about the craft since then. But um, yeah, if, if other people can connect to it, then then it, it gets to go somewhere, I guess. Yeah, and I think that's the biggest thing. If there's a connection or feel no different than a movie or anything else, and you know, a songwriter no different than an actor playing a role that I think there's, there's always going to be something of you in it, whether the song is about your personal experience or about you, uh, you know, sometimes people might read too much into it. Um, but, you know, I, I think you can't help. There's going to be, you know, and like people talk about honesty and authenticity and things like that. That doesn't mean that you're wearing your heart on the sleeve and every song's about you. It just means that you're connecting to that emotion, whether it's something you've observed or, or you felt or whether it's somebody close to you or whether you're just telling a story because you've lived life and you've been writing songs for a long time and, you know, you become a very good storyteller. And I think that's the trick is that, you know, if you can convince somebody that this song is based on something, or maybe it's just a song that I can identify. That's why I'm always torn. Like I love when songwriters tell the story behind their songs and talk about songs, but sometimes I kind of wish they hadn't because I have my own personal connection or meaning for that song. And then, you know, it's like a lot of people didn't want to do videos back in the eighties because they're telling a story and people think, well, now that's ruined the song for me because that's what the song was. But I mean, it, you know, videos are really just more of commercials for the songs and or for the artists or for the band. Yeah, I I feel the exact same way. Like I I like there are so one artist I love is Regina Spector, especially her earlier work, and her lyrics are like this tangled vine of poetry, and you go I. They, like I, I have a feeling about this, but it's not because of the English translation. Like, well, it's in English. It's not because of the meaning of the words she just said. I have no idea what that means. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> and it's like a part of me is so curious, but then I feel like a large part of what I love about that song is that the song kind of gives you this, the, the, you know, it, it is the mystery of it and the intricacy of it. And I, I don't write lyrics that way. I, I think my, my lyrics are fairly fairly plain language. Um, but yeah, it, it's there's something about having that curiosity and just ha being able to puzzle over a song and think about it. Like that, that's, that's a quality about songs that I love. You can like, love a song and not be totally sure of, of what it means, but you know, have your own little idea. And right. so I try that. That's a lesson, like, I think a couple years into me performing and writing songs and releasing music, I kind of realized like lots of people, there's a couple of my songs where I would always get asked, what's this about? What's this about? What's this about? And I never really wanted to explain it because to me, it was like, maybe not my favorite story to tell. And mm -hmm. I was still a little bit confused about it myself, to be quite honest. <laughs> like, so I was trying to figure it out. And then a performance coach told me like, you know, you don't need to explain. You, you don't have to tell people what your music is about. And then I was like, that's a light bulb moment for me. And there, there are some, so I, because I don't, again, like it, that I think ruins the experience of, of yeah. certain songs. Like yeah. a lot of the appeal of some songs is not being totally sure and well, interpreting your own version. I don't want to take that away from anyone, right? So I yeah. sometimes I just say, oh, I don't tell that story, sorry. <laughs> or even better, well, what do you think it's about? Right. Because I'm more interested to hear about what they think because you know, that, yeah. that feels really cool as a songwriter. 
Well, yeah, and then that makes it more interactive. I mean, it, it's got to be a great feeling when somebody comes up to somebody and, and talks about how a song, again, I remember Sarah Merrick Lachlan talking about Angel and how, you know, people had said that, that that song saved their life and for whatever reason helped them through a dark time. And the song sounds pretty dark itself, but maybe there's some hope or, or maybe it's just, it's that catharsis like you were talking about uh, helps people process things. Too high when I look at you 
Is this a mirror on the wall that I'm talking to? If Jones has said to me, you're getting older now, it's time to forget that dream. And I set my sights just a little too high when I look to you. And it's a mirror on the wall that I'm talking to. If Jones has said to me, you're getting older now, it's time to forget that dream. Forget that dream. That was Alex Worms with a song called Jones from her first EP called Our Lives. But it's interesting with Jan Arden. I mean, she's interesting and she's funny. And when she talks about songs on stage and introduces the songs and her stories are really good. And I think that's the trick. Some songwriters are very good at storytellers through their, at being storytellers through their song. But when they start to talk about their songs, I, f- I sometimes feel like, you know what, just play the song because you're not doing it justice and, and other people are far more interesting. But then you get somebody like Bob Dylan who barely mumbles a word or two between songs on stage and just plays and and you might get a different interpretation every time. And, you know, I remember watching some of the early interviews people would be trying to dissect his songs and and I think he just got sick of it. And so he would be very dismissive and say, well, they're not about anything. It's just words. I'm just making up words. But, you know, I don't think that's the case because I'd hear about him sitting down at a typewriter for hours on end and, and writing songs and now I'm listening to a podcast that breaks down every song on every album starting at the beginning. But again, it's just that person's interpretation about what he thinks the song might be about. And he could be completely right. He could be completely wrong or somewhere in between. And I guess really at the end of the day, only the songwriter themselves will know. And sometimes, like you said, you're not even sure yourself. <laughs> and yeah. I've had those songs where they come out and I'm going, I'm not really sure what that actually is about, but it's cool. Yeah. Because sometimes it it's not one situation. Sometimes it's just a feeling, right? right? Or or an opinion, you know, or a thought. Um, yeah. And I, I think what's cool about about songs like that sometimes, where you're not talking about a specific day and a specific year and a specific location, um, you know, sometimes my own songs I think about them in different contexts from when they were written too. And and you know, the again when you're talking about the banter and the way you lead into them on stage like I can take it's kind of fun for me when I can introduce a song in a you know in a context you know from yesterday like you know if it relates to something I did recently and I can spin it that way because I I tend to focus again I don't like to give away what the song's about before I play it right the song can speak for itself but you can kind of introduce the mood a little bit by saying you know I was I was thinking about this the other day when I was buying my groceries and and your your whatever like that's not very interesting but you know um so I I find that 
it is a fun way to kind of maybe for me I don't think it makes a difference to listeners but to think about an old song kind of in a in a different way um mm -hmm. and sometimes even rearrange it differently and play it differently depending on how I'm feeling at, at whatever yeah. show oh and that can be fun too and again that can be great for a listener who wants to go along with you and sometimes they come out and go oh that's not the version I heard on the album but to me well then stay home and listen to the album I mean yeah. I used to I used to think that was important as a younger fan that you know I go to a concert how was the concert it was great they sounded just like the record but then I realized but I've already got the record I mean I want to hear you know and sometimes the different interpretations I mean I've seen some Van Morrison shows that are just like wow like dude where are you going yeah, <laughs> and then I've yeah. then I've seen some other shows where people are just like well that's cool I'd never even you know like Eric Clapton reimagining Layla 20 30 years later from the hard rock version of the 60s to this very mellow acoustic version I mean so yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and for the sake of the performance, you have to feel connected to the song in that moment. Right. I, I mean, and if you're not, <laughs> then yeah. I don't think the performance is going to be very effective. Right. So it, it's it's very important for me to, to really feel connected to the song um, because otherwise it's going to come out stale. Right. right. So got to do what we got to do. <laughs> I mean, we, we could have episode after episode of just about songwriting, but uh, um, I'm just kind of watching the time here. We've been talking for oh, quite yeah. a while. <laughs> so, talking too much. And, uh, well, no, and, and you know, there's never enough. Um, you know, this is the thing I, I love about this show when I get talking with people and I just get immersed in it and I'll, I try to keep an eye on the clock, but sometimes I'm just, the conversation is rolling and I'm enjoying it so much and as I, sometimes I'll say, well, who knows, this may end up being a two-part or three-part show, but uh, we want to get some of your music in on the show as well. Sure. Um, so, um, all right, well, that just brings us to sort of the, the final sort of questions of the show, um, the, uh, the questionnaire that was developed by uh, French interviewer Bernard Pivot and made famous by James Lipton on the Actors Studio. So are you ready for the, for the 10 questions? as ready as i'll ever be <laughs> all right well we won't do it lightning round we'll give you some we'll give you some time here um and we'll start off with the easy ones so, uh, favorite word the one two come to mind uh the classical music word intermezzo i love i love the feel of that as well as the word cordial and i'm not sure why but it it just seems sweet somehow <laughs> i i agree uh very very cool words uh, what is your least favorite word? Essentially. <laughs> well, <laughs> I could elaborate. Essentially is a word that people use when they're going to try to explain something that they think is too complicated for you to understand. So they try to, uh, quote unquote, dumb it down. I hate mm -hmm. that. <laughs> yeah, I'd never thought about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Um, so what turns you on either creatively, spiritually, emotionally, or any or all of the above? Uh, getting to know people, um, meeting new people is my favorite thing. And then when they tell me about themselves or uh, what they like or what they've experienced, um, that is that is the stuff. That's the best. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what turns you off? Anything logical. <laughs> <laughs> emails. I hate emails. <laughs> There's, there's enough emails going around, yep. <laughs> more than enough. Um, and I'm always trying to get off mailing lists too, and, and somehow you just can't. <laughs> it's just for me, it's, you know, 
because for me, emails are you, and, and thankfully, you know, I, I have an incredible manager who now handles a lot of booking and, and that kind of thing for me. Um, but I find like, if I have to, you know, answer something or help schedule something, um, and I'm trying to be in my creative world, it just pulls me right out of it. And then I, I find it hard to, to do both. It's like a day is either a creative day or it's a logical day where no writing gets done. Yeah. And you can really get sucked in. I mean, and, and social media or anything else, but I find like people get confused with email. And to me, email is just to is just to communicate some information. It's not to have a conversation or to communicate bigger things or deeper thoughts. And I would find sometimes at work, these emails would go back between different departments and, and different, you know, um, locations and things like that. And, you know, just go on and on and on all day long. People get sucked in these chains and then more people, I just, just pick up the phone and have a five minute conversation, actually talk to another human being and, and work this out instead of copying in the world. And, uh, but yeah, I they can agree. be a major distraction. Yeah. Yeah. Phone is way better than email. <laughs> um, what is your favorite curse word? Uh, nobody needs to hear that. Right. <laughs> we're good. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So what sound or noise do you love? The sound, um, two sounds, the, the crunch when you bite into a celery stalk oh, yeah. and um, also a similar sound, uh, jumping into the leaves in the fall, like the dried up crunchy oh, leaves. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful sound. We yeah. had a sort of a tradition here every year. I rake up the leaf pile and my son would run and jump into the leaves and it's just such a great sound and are just going for those fall walks and um, yeah. unfortunately he's too big for that now, but um <laughs> What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, oh, when people crack their knuckles, mm. can or or you pop joints or I hate any that. any body part. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I won't. I won't tell you. Oh, maybe I will. My my wife has a habit of cracking her neck, which even after all these years just makes me wince. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? And I know you're doing a lot of different things within music and maybe it's something else in music or is there something maybe completely outside of music that you'd always thought about? Well, I, I won't attempt this because I don't think I would survive, but being like a gymnast or like a parkour artist, mm. I think that's so cool. I, I would love to, I would love to do that. Just the feeling of flying around in the air, but uh, yeah. I won't do that. <laughs> I think you're young enough that you could still get away with it. I would break something. Oh, or, or I, I would just, sure. I would just break into little pieces. I think at this point. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I learned my lesson at the skate park with my son a couple of years ago, and uh, where things, some things did break, and I'd never broken a bone in my entire life until then. So, oh, uh, no. and I broke a couple that night. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, so what what profession other than your own would you absolutely not want to attempt? Not that you wouldn't attempt it, but just would not absolutely. Want to do it under any circumstances i could think of a lot but the first one that comes to mind is like surgery mm. <laughs> too much at stake and um too little sleep i think oh, yeah too not much a good pressure. combination yeah. um all right and finally uh if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at the pearly gates i love your song jones <laughs> <laughs> not the dream and there should be lots of great musicians for you to play with once you get up there but hopefully again not for many 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 years and uh we'll hopefully connect soon take care sure yeah thanks again i'll talk Bye -bye. to you later <laughs>
Well, that concludes the second part of my interview with Alex Worms. Coming up next, we have the second part of my interview with Susie Corey. Stay tuned.
Well, that was Love Revolution by Susie Corey. Let's jump into the final part of my conversation with Susie Corey. Um, and I thought I read something about motivational speaker. What's that? Yeah. Uh, is that that's sort of a, a thing that's happening along with this? And it, I mean, it sounds as we've gone through this interview, I mean, I certainly I think there's a lot of things that are motivating about your actions and your behaviors. And then, you know, the Love Revolution Festival is a good example of, I think, how you can motivate people to kind of say, you know, if you're not finding what you want, create it. You know, and that's exactly what I talk about. And also the whole thing of manifesting. And I know for some people that sounds very woo-woo, <laughs> you know, um, but I try and normalize it by showing people factual things about my own life. I'm a normal person who had a dream and had to put that aside, you know, to have a family and raise a family. And I have no regrets about any of that. Mm-hmm. But just trying to show people that at any point in your life, you can make changes. Because I think some people kind of give up. You know, I have an 18 and 20 year old. I'm not young and I have older kids. And I decided to do this a couple of years, four years ago. I started doing the, you know, following my passion for music and just trying to show people that it's possible. And it was incredible that when I started following what I should have always been doing, my life had a succession of incredible experiences. I mean, my whole life has been amazing. But in the past four years since I started doing music, I, it's just out of this world. You know, and I, all the people that I've met and the experiences and where I've been in the world, I wouldn't have had that if I didn't follow my heart and take the risks and the chances. Because some people, you know, they're paralyzed by fear. Really, that's all it comes down to. Because they're like, I can't leave my job. I didn't leave my job initially. I still had my job, but I was doing my job full time. I was a manager with the airlines here with Air Canada. And I was full time music too and raising kids. <laughs> so if I could do it, anybody can do it. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't until last year that I was let go. And then I now I'm doing this full time. But again, it's because I trust that the universe knows that now I'm ready to do this full time. And it's afforded me so many opportunities, incredible opportunities to perform. And you know, just a couple of weeks ago, I performed at Blue Mountain with an amazing lineup of artists. And I'm so fortunate. And like the, you know, you're talking about the show that you might come out to in Barrie with Aaron Allen, David Boyjeans, they're both really good friends. I respect them and adore them. And to be on the same bill with them, you know, for somebody who just started doing country a couple of years ago is crazy. So, you know, when you're on the right path and you trust your heart and you follow it, everything falls into place and the universe helps you to continue on. Yeah, I I think that's great. And And it sounds like you've taken a moment as you're going along to kind of count your blessings and, and total things up. And I, I think, you know, it, it, I think it's, it's, there's two different camps and I, and, uh, and I think it actually was David Boyd James that I heard in, in an interview, he was talking about, you know, maybe it was him or somebody else that said they hadn't really stopped to celebrate. They just keep going. But I, but I think it's not so much stopping to celebrate. It's just kind of realizing all those things that have happened. And when you start to add them up, you start to feel really better. I mean, cause I've gone, gone through those days too. And I've had a similar path where I was, you know, um, through a corporate restructure, suddenly I was out as well. And that's where I kind of got back to going a simpler kind of approach and getting back to music, which has always been there as sort of a sideline. Um, so you've inspired me that there's hope. I mean, cause you know, I really jumped on this about a year and a half ago and I've put out an album and I've got the radio show. And, um, so I think when you start to kind of add those things up, when you have those days where you're going to, I don't know, is it worth it? Is it's, and I think that's why, some people are successful and some aren't. I think you've got to always have that positive attitude, but I think it's a lot to climb that mountain. And like you said, some people get paralyzed by fear or some people just get beaten down by doubt. Um, 
or they just don't think they're making progress and because they compare themselves to somebody else. Well, that person's so much farther ahead and, th and that will get you every time. You can't do that. You've got to look at where was I yesterday and where am I today and where am I going to be tomorrow? If there's a trajectory there and some progress, then I think then all is well. Well, you know, if I can use an, an, an analogy, I can't even say that, um, that recently happened on Saturday. I was mentioning to you, I was in Calgary. And so I, I went with a friend to Lake Louise and we climbed up and did a hike. And this hike probably took us, I think, an hour. And it was very aggressive. Like it was a very uphill yeah. <laughs> hike and it was raining. So we were laughing because we said, had we known how treacherous it was going to be and how long it was going to be, if somebody had told us when we started, I don't think we would have taken the hike, mm -hmm. but because we didn't know and every turn that we took, there was another uphill thing. I'm just like one step at a time, one yeah. step at a time, one step. And we kept going, going. And when we got to the top, the payoff was this beautiful cabin that does, it's a tea house and they have beautiful teas and sandwiches and soups and whatever. And you sit on top of this thing going, I just climbed this beautiful thing and, you know, beautiful views. And, um, it's the same thing with this, you know, you can't look at the end goal and have that only, you know, sure you can have aspirations of what you want to happen in your career, but if you only focus on that, you're missing all the really important things that are happening along the way and going, wait a second, this is incredible. You know, the fact that I have someone contact me to do an interview a couple of years ago, if you told me that, I'd be like, who'd want to interview me? <laughs> but that's, and I think some people miss out on that. And they don't realize, oh, okay, well, I'm just doing this interview. You know, it's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. No, it is a big deal. Everything is a big deal, you know? And the more you're grateful and appreciate every little thing you do, the more of it comes to you. That's just the law of the universe, you know, and the way it works. Brilliant. All right. Well, um, I think we're going to unfortunately have to wrap things up. But as I said, <laughs> I, could, I could listen to you all day. Um, but we've got the, uh, the 10 questions. Are you ready? Yeah. All right. What is your favorite word? Well, the one I use the most, you know how sometimes those things, apps or whatever, they show you what you say most often. I say yeah. awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Everything's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. This is awesome. That's, that's cool. awesome. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Uh, what about your least favorite word? No. <laughs> See, now I had a feeling, I mean, just knowing you the short time and meeting you that I thought, you know, favorite word is going to be a positive word and, and, their, and their least favorite word would obviously be a negative word. And yeah. um, so what turns you on um, creatively, spiritually, emotionally, all three or any of those sort of categories? What are, what are the things that kind of get you excited about life or about art? People. You know, for me, it's the human factor. Nothing is more important than that. And I think nature is a beautiful thing. But again, it's just connecting with people. I've traveled all over the world. And a lot of times I travel by myself because I feel when I'm by myself, you are more likely to interact with people. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're with a friend, you kind of, you're in your little, own little clique. Yeah. But when you're by yourself, I've gone to Brazil three times and traveled and met people from all over the world. People I didn't know, we barely spoke the same language. We'd go out to dinner, like people I just met that day. And so I'm so much about people. And that's why the songs, whether a song that I've written is about me, or you'll find that it's either been inspired by someone who's close to me and it's their own story, you know? So I love listening to people and figuring you can learn a lot about life from yourself and from people, but humanity is the most important thing we have. Great. That's great. Uh, what turned you off? Nothing. No. 
Yeah, I mean, and I know I'm not trying to sound like, oh, I'm so positive, but really it's, it would be very, just, I would, well, I would say negativity. Right. You know, I, I think that you always, perspective is everything. It doesn't matter. You know, people sometimes go, oh, well, you don't know because you're not going through it. We've all gone through the same thing at one point or another. Nobody can avoid things like, you know, separation, death, um, tragedy, whatever. As a human being, you can't go through life avoiding those things. You're going to face them at some point or another. And, you know, I was talking to you about loss of a job. I mean, for some people that was devastating because it wasn't just me. There was several people who got let go and others didn't take it. Most of them didn't take it so well. And, but because I saw it as a blessing, it turned into a blessing. So being positive is everything. That's key. I think a lot of those things happen for a reason and and they're gifts that we've got to, you know, the the whole, the old adage of what doesn't uh, kill you makes you stronger and and things like that. But uh, it can be intimidating for sure. Well, and, um, and you know that whatever's happening is best for you. If you yeah. can just believe that, it it is. <laughs> you know, but some people go, "How could this be the best for me?" Yeah. But you have to believe it is, and it will turn into that. Yeah, I think that's the thing. It's hard to see in the moment, uh, but then when you get past that, and you kind of go, "Wow, okay, great." Um, you know, this led me to this, and yeah. then and then you just have to apply that the next time something happens and kind of go, okay, well, I'm excited now to see what's going to happen. (laughs) Exactly. You know, that's exactly how I think. Um, Whenever something doesn't happen as I thought it would, I'm like, okay, well then there's something exciting that's going to happen here. So let's see what this is going to be, you know, and just being able to go with the flow of life. I think that's key. It's funny. I, I had worked in restaurants for years and we had, we had a term, that a complaint is a gift, um, you know, because you'd have those perfect nights where everything went great and, you know, you'd inter- interact with people and engage your, your customers and you get to know people. But I find that those nights were, you know, something went disastrously wrong with one table. It's like, okay, you know, in the past I'd, Oh my God, that's it. We're, we're in so much trouble. And, but then you, you engage that table and you, and you talk with them. And at the end of the day, now you've had an opportunity to show them what you're really made of. And now you've actually interfaced with them more than just walking around as a manager saying, hello, you've got to sit down with them. You've got to know their name and why they're there. And suddenly you've made a friend or you've made a regular customer and go, none of that would have happened if it had just been a smooth night. Um, you know, if it'd been so bad that they'd left unhappy, but I mean, as long as they'd left happy. So this little glitch happened in the middle and that's, that's, that's tough, I think for, for a lot of younger people coming up. Um, when something happens, they tend to catastrophize and uh, as opposed to saying, okay, well, what's our solution here? Well, it's ironic that you bring that up because yesterday, literally, I was, you know, when I was in Calgary, I was with a friend of mine who also works in aviation and we were discussing this because he was telling me that, you know, this catastrophic thing had happened. And I said, but I've always, you know, cause I was in the airlines for years mm-hmm. when things went wrong, that was our time to shine. So what you're saying is a hundred percent. And, you know, imagine at the airport when a flight gets canceled and you've got 300 people or we have several flights canceled and you're talking about thousands of people. And, you know, that's the time that you really can shine if you handle it the right way. So you're a hundred percent right. Absolutely. Perfect. All right. A little fun question. What's your favorite curse word? has to be the F word because <laughs> sometimes it just it gives a powerful punch to whatever you're trying to say <laughs> it sure does and it's got multi-purposes <laughs> but my kids don't know I use it <laughs> all right well uh what sound or noise do you love meow <laughs> do you have pets did you are you an animal person no <laughs> no <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. What sound? What sound or noise do you hate? Sound or. I don't know. I mean, I would say when there's one thing that always kind of stands up for me is if I'm in a restaurant and there's loud, loud music playing or a lot of chit chat and chat, you can't have real in-depth conversations with people. And I found that's one of the things that I really don't enjoy. So whenever I go out, I try and find places that are quiet, you know, um, despite being in the music industry and someone who performs and, you know, concerts and festivals and everything else. I really enjoy quiet. I'm, I'm not an introvert, but I don't mind being alone. And I love thinking and, you know, having time to reflect. And if I'm with someone, I want us to have a conversation. And I, so I think for me, it's just loudness and craziness. It's not my thing. I prefer much prefer quiet. It's time and place for everything, right? Yeah. Um, so now you've done a bunch of different professions and, uh, but other than that, I mean, what professions other than your own, would you like to attempt? Is there something that you've done, not wanted, or sorry, haven't had a chance to do outside of music that you'd love to do if it was sort of a dream job? Yeah, I would say like, not as a job, but I've always wanted to fly a plane or a spaceship, like go up to space. I want to be an astronaut. No kidding. (laughs) So the closest I got was working for airlines, you know, but really that was a huge dream of mine. I actually met a few astronauts and to me that was like meeting rock stars because I was so excited, you know, and just talking to them about having had the experience of going and seeing the earth from that perspective. Yeah. It's a rare view that most of us will never get. Yeah. I actually met Julie Payette, who was our governor general and Mm -hmm. she had photo, but I met her years ago, like 20 years ago. And um, she had been part of a program where they chose regular people to go up to space and um she showed me pictures she took up there i was just like that's crazy you know she um, printed them out because at the time we didn't have mobile phones or not that you could take photos with and she showed me these pictures that she'd taken from the spacecraft i was like this is incredible that i get to see this Uh, did you work at all towards being a pilot like have you have you done any flying at all no i um i got the book that you know the, the handbook for pilots read through the entire thing and then again it was my parents saying you're not going to fly. <laughs> Stay here on earth, please. Well, <laughs> so. well, you got further than I did. It, and it's funny. I was a reluctant flyer. I got into flying later in life. Um, and I, and I think part of it is just being a control freak where I, you know, I always felt like we'd get turbulence and things like that. And I say to my wife, I said, you know, do I, I think I feel like I need to go up there and say, is everything okay? Like you guys need me to handle, <laughs> like, you know, you can't see anything. The door is closed. And, you know, I hate being a backseat driver too, but I thought, well, maybe if I was flying the plane, I would be a little bit more comfortable flying, but I never even got as far as getting the manual, but uh, I always thought it'd be something that'd be kind of cool. Well, I did have an incredible experience. I think it was in 2000. So this is, obviously before 9-11, I was flying from Toronto to San Francisco and (laughs) it's gonna sound awful. (laughs) I think it was the captain trying to hit on me, but he told the flight attendant, you know, have her come up to the cockpit. So I did, and I got to sit there. We had a great chat, you know. He asked me out on a date after, (laughs) which never happened. But, um, you know, I got to sit in the cockpit and fly from Toronto to San Francisco and landing in San Francisco, being in the cockpit was- Oh my God unbelievable because have you ever been to san francisco i have yeah Anything. yeah so the airport is right beside the water you literally yeah. land you know within meters of the water so the view is phenomenal and spectacular oh. so that was really incredible but of course <laughs> months later you, no one was ever allowed to sit in the cockpit 
Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if I know anybody that actually got to sit up there. My wife had done uh, on one of the trips when we were out West had gotten to, to visit the cockpit and she said, yeah, just ask next time you're on a flight. So next time I was coming back to Ontario, I, my plan was to ask and then nine 11 hit. And then it was like, no, <laughs> that's not an option anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, they locked the door now. So people don't <laughs> go in there, but um, at the time I was an employee as well of the airline. So right. that was used as the excuse, you know, yeah, yeah. as an employee, have her come in and watch. <laughs> Very cool. Very cool. Um, what profession would you not like to do? <laughs> Well, one that I actually did. This is going to be interesting. I don't know if I've ever talked about this, so it might be a first. Your right. program here. Where we have I'm a first here on my show. Great. Yes, this is an exclusive. I was a teacher for two years, and it was very, very rewarding, but without a doubt, the hardest job I've ever done. And I had no teaching experience. I had just moved to the Middle East, and they were looking for native speakers, you know, native English speakers. Mm -hmm. And so someone told me, well, they're interested in you. Would you go to this private school? So I, I went and I spoke to them. They hired me and I did it for two years. And basically the only way I learned how to teach was by I had to shadow a teacher for a few weeks. Okay. And then like literally two weeks later, they give me my own class, several classes. And you'd have 52 students because I'd have 26 for half of the day, 26 the next half of the day, like because it was Arabic and English. So I did the English curriculum and then another teacher did the Arabic and then we'd swap students. So in a course of a day, I would see 52 kids and 52 books to mark for math, 52 oh science books to mark, 52 English assignments to do. It was so much work and not that I'm lazy, but the onus that's on a teacher, I started mm -hmm. to realize it's huge. You know, especially I was teaching grades one to four. If kids don't learn things in those formative years, those first four years, you've lost them. Right. And that's why a lot of kids, you know, you see them later on, grade five, six, seven, whatever. They don't even know how to write or read properly because it didn't happen in those first few years. It has mm -hmm. to happen there. And so I took it very seriously. And by taking it so seriously, it takes a huge toll on you. And after two years, I just couldn't do it. And, you know, they offered me like, they're like, we'll give you anything you want. Please just stay because I loved the students. They loved me. And so that wasn't it. I, but they knew I gave everything to them, the students. And that's why there was a huge love between us, but it just, you know, it, it takes such a, I have highest respect for teachers if you're doing your job well, because I yeah. saw some teachers who weren't doing it well. Sure. No, more time talking and gossiping in the uh, lunchroom than they were <laughs> focusing on their students. But if you're going to do it correctly and really understand how important your role is, it's, it's a hard job. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, no, I had some amazing teachers over the years and, and some less than amazing, but uh, I think like any profession, but well, that's interesting. There you go. Uh, world exclusive. Um, and then <laughs> lastly, uh, if heaven exists, uh, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? You did a great job on earth. <laughs> awesome. You did exactly what you were supposed to do. <laughs> well, you did a great job with the interview today. Really, like I said, I really enjoyed it. Um, just so much uh, energy and enthusiasm and, and some so positivity and, and so many interesting things. And I, I can't wait to see what's next with, with, with Susie. <laughs>
Hello, this is Mason McKee, and you are listening to Musicians FAQ on CKMS 102.7 Radio Waterloo with my dad, Stuart McKee. Thank you for listening to Musicians FAQ Podcast with your host, Stuart McKee. We're here every week with great Canadian musical artists 